Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we've got another loss to talk through as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 288. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell about the Eagles and their Week 11 loss against the Cleveland Browns. What did the film show? What does it mean for this team moving forward? And what about next week's game against the Seattle Seahawks? We'll preview that matchup as well right at the top of the show in Chalk Talk. But before we get there, just a quick reminder If you have not yet, please jump on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating and leave us a comment. We will 1,000% answer a question that you leave here on that Apple Podcast page right here on the show. Appreciate everybody who has already done that. Again, it's the best way to throw us your support. It helps boost us up the rankings and make the show more available to others that are looking for Eagles podcasts. Again, really appreciate everybody that's done that. Also, want to give a quick shout out over to the Journey to the Draft podcast. That's where I'm on twice a week, every week, covering the NFL. Uh, the NFL Draft, college football. Really appreciate everybody that has tuned in over to that show. If you're ready to kind of get a tune-up on who the top prospects are, myself, Dane Brugler, Ben Fennel, Ross Tucker. We're on there every single week, twice a week over on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We have Eagle Scouts, by the way, a new a new segment that debuted a few weeks ago on that show. An Eagle Scout joins me every single week to talk through a current Eagles player. You can go through all the scouting reports, all the notes on those guys, and just how what that means big picture for player evaluation. We do, uh, do that every single week over on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. You can find that wherever podcasts can be found. All right, that being said, let's dive now into the top of the show, Greg Cosell. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, excited to be joined once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade by my friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Greg, thanks for joining us, man. It's, uh, it's week 12. Hey, that's a beautiful thing, Fran. That's right. Beautiful thing. Uh, Maybe maybe in these days, one of uh, some things to, to be thankful for, but uh, we're still playing NFL football. No question. Yeah, well, let's get into uh, the NFL football that we watched on Sunday, uh, and that is with the Eagles and the Cleveland Browns. We'll dive into the, the Arizona Cardinals and uh, Seattle Seahawks a little bit later, but when we t- look at this Cleveland Browns game, I mean, look, it was a uh, it was another tough one, right? I mean, you look offensively, um, I thought we saw some some good things uh, in the run game. I thought that there were some some creative things that they did uh, up front. They did you know, a lot of tackle traps. We saw the pin pools. We saw some good stuff in the run game. Um, obviously, the the, the, game, the weather itself did not necessarily pretend to throwing the football, but it was not a good day uh, in the air, you know, for this Eagles offense. Once again, uh, really struggling to move the ball with consistency through the air. What was some of your biggest takeaways watching the offense? You know, it was really interesting because on that first drive, they ran the ball eight consecutive times. And, uh, you know, that's obviously not something you see with the Eagles, uh, whether that was weather related or just that's the way they thought they could really attack. We don't really know the answer to that. But but I think you hit it on the head. You know, I started to make notes as I was watching all the different run game concepts. And it, it almost brought me back to, you know, 2017, 2018, when we saw an awful lot uh, of different concepts. You and I used to talk about that every week, uh, how diverse and multiple their run game was. 
Yeah. And, I mean, and, we saw, we saw the pin pools. We saw a yep. couple tackle traps, you know, where Lane Johnson coming and blocking the play side yep. defensive tackle. Um, you know, I thought that they did some really good things uh, in the run game and they didn't really get away from it until the end when it was out, you know, two score game and, and you had to throw to try and pick up chunks of yardage. No, no. So, uh, you know, obviously with, with Sanders fumbling, you know, yep. as they were going in on that first drive and, and in a game like that, uh, no one needs to say that can't happen. We all know that. And it was a shame because I thought, again, he looked good running the football, particularly in bad weather. And, uh, but no, their run game, they did a lot of good things in the run game and we'll see how that continues going forward. Yeah, it was a, and we talked with like Reese after the, after the game on the post game show. And, you know, he talked about just his experience as a player, you know, when, when that kind of thing happens early on the opening drive, it's hard to fend off the, the, here we go again feeling, you know, yes. it's yes. A, kind of a deflating play. Um, so unfortunate that that happened because the Eagles certainly were moving the ball uh, with some rhythm there on the in the run game no, uh, and on it's that in, open drive. It's interesting you mention Ike as a player because, you know, it's always easy for someone like you or I to say, oh, well, it's the opening drive. You just shake it off and you move on. And it's good to get Ike's perspective on that, especially. And look, the reality is it's not been an offense that's been putting up a lot of points and, and it's been a struggle uh, in a lot of these games. So I guess when that happens on the first series as a player, you just get that here we go again feeling. And so it's great to get his perspective as opposed to, you know, you and I sitting with a clicker and, and probably thinking, oh, well, okay, you did a really nice job. You just come back and keep doing the same thing. But it's, it's probably not like that mentally for a player. Craig, I want to ask you a question. We'll say this in the in the best terms that we can. What what are you seeing from the pass game right now? Well, like in terms of like the issues that we're seeing, what what does the film show? Watching you know Carson Wentz and just the pass game, and you know not just in this game, but just over the last few weeks. I would say again, if if I just had to say what the film shows from a tactical perspective, and I think that's what you're asking me, correct? Yep, exactly. I think you're seeing a lot of individual isolation routes in man-to-man situations. I think they count on their receivers to win early in their routes. Uh, And I think the film shows that that's not happening with the consistency that you'd ideally like. So therefore, there's not a a lot of defined throws for Carson Wentz, particularly on uh, three-step, five-step drop timing. Uh, And I think that that's led to Carson. And again, I don't know what's in his head. I'm just responding to the film. I think that that's led to to Carson being a little tentative. Um, He's not been a turn it loose thrower as he was early in his career. And that's one of the things you and I loved about him. Uh, So, you know, I think those are the kinds of things that the film show. When I, it's it's just interesting watching it because every play, you know, there, there's always something where you're like, all right, well, if this goes a little bit differently, then, then this changes, right? And, and to me, like, you know, watching the the interception return for a touchdown, and this was different. This is not one of those isolation plays that you're talking about because uh, it was a two-man concept to the, to the left side of the field. To the wide um, – it was a half field read to the wide side of the field because there were no wet, no routes to the boundary. Yep. And to me, like watching that play, I kind of, you know, I'm, you, you try all because all we can do, we're not we're not Carson. We're not talking to Carson, you know, as as obviously he would understand or anybody on the inside of the building would know. But like you're watching him drop back. You see Andrew Sandejo kind of float over that route from from Jalen Rager. And you're like, all right, well. With everything that's gone on, you take big picture and you kind of understand, all right, well, I see why Carson didn't make that throw, right? I see why he was maybe you know, not willing to say, all right, I'm just going to pull the trigger and fire this to the back shoulder in the rain when the, you know, the turnovers already happened in this game and you know, I'm getting railed on these turnovers over and over and over again week after week. 
So now he goes to the check down. He has to hold on to the ball a tick longer to, to turn to his left and, and uh, dump it off to Sanders. And that's when he gets hit from the blind side and the pick goes the other way and it's a touchdown. Like, it's just tough, man. Like, it's because that it's a lot of these little things and it's a, a missed block by Richard Rodgers who otherwise had a good game as a blocker uh, overall in this game. Uh, a missed block turns into six points the other way. Yeah, and again, you know, you and I can't speak to what's in Carson Wentz's head. We can only take a look at the film. You know, it, it did it look like the throw was there? You and I would probably say, yeah, it did look like that throw was there. But only Carson could tell us why he didn't throw that ball. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one because I think you look at that and you say, yeah, like, and you, you talk to people about the play and you see the different analysis all over the internet and all over the media about the play. Some people say, yeah, like, he should have thrown that ball. That ball should have come out. And then you see part of it, and it's like, yeah, like I kind of understand what why he didn't throw the ball, um, you know, given the circumstances. It's just, but it's just one of those small plays where you kind of look at it and you're like, all right, well, uh, you know, all the different circumstances that go into it. But that that's kind of how I saw it was he sees Sendeo kind of floating over Rager, um, you know, and it doesn't pull the trigger. Says, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna check it down to the running back at second and long. At the very least, we're looking at third and manageable at the very least. Uh, but hopefully, Sanders can make something out of nothing and make a big play. And unfortunately, uh, that was not able to happen. To me, though, Greg, and this is not an offense thing. This is a this is a team thing. This is a, a full team kind of like just taking a step back and looking at the at the, the scope of this thing. The one of the sequences that really kind of sticks out to me from this game: Cleveland's punting the ball to the Eagles. The ball's up in the air. Greg Ward is under it. He doesn't catch it. The ball bounces inside the five yard line. So now the Eagles are inside in a backed up situation where instead of the ball getting the ball at like the eighteen or you know yeah. wherever it was, now they're backed up. They end up going not three and out. They take a sack on third down, one of four third down sacks on the day for the Eagles. They're two for 12 uh, in the, on, on the day on third down, two for their last 21 on third down over the last two weeks. But they take the sack on third down that because they were backed up is a safety. You know, if they're taking that ball from the 18-yard line, that's a sack and they're punting away. Instead, that's a safety. And with the safety, now they have the free kick afterwards. They, they kick the ball back to Cleveland on a short field. The defense holds them, but because it was a short field, they get three points right there off that missed punt, off that missed punt return by Greg Ward. He, him letting the ball hit the ground and it bouncing inside the five. That's a five point swing in a game that was decided by five points. Like those little mistakes, the culmination of those little mistakes mount up. We're talking about a, a missed blitzer on uh, on a green dog blitz by the tight end. Uh, you know the missed punt return. All those other you like if you, if you just add up those all those little mistakes. Those things add up. And the, the margin of error or the margin for error with teams that are good and bad in the NFL, when you look at the records, it's it's razor thin. And right now the Eagles are just on the wrong side of too many of those pivotal plays. Yeah, and I mean, we're not saying anything out of school to say that when you're not scoring a ton of points on a weekly basis, those things even become more magnified. Yeah. And and I think your point's 100% right. I mean, if you're putting up 30, 30, 35 every week, then plays like that, not that they're not important. Obviously, every play is important, and a coach would tell you that every play is important. But those plays don't seem to have the same kind of importance if you can put up 30. When you're not doing that, those plays really take on added importance and become really magnified. I, a, a team that you watch every week, Greg, you watch the Tennessee Titans every week. They've had – Two overtime wins this year. Yeah, won three other games by I think at least a score, yep. less, something like that. I mean, when you have when you play that way, you you have to be on the other side. You you have to do the little things well because there that that there is that margin for error. And I feel like that's the thing with the Eagles right now because you mentioned it that since they're not 
you know, putting up. So this isn't 2017 where, uh, you know, they're scoring 30, 35, 38 points a game. You've got to be able to be on top of your P's and Q's in order for things to go well. And being, you know, being as bad as they are on third down, it's hard to have that sustained success. And it's tough. I know for our listeners, um, you know, they're trying to get, they're trying to get to the root of the why and what to do to fix it. You and I, we watch the film just like uh, everybody else on the outside and we're trying to make sense of it all. But it's a lot of those little things, those little moments, those are the ones that stand out to me most more so than, Oh, well, you know, Carson Wentz, you know, that, that pick six. It's like, yeah, the, the, the pick six was unfortunate. No question about it. But the, why, why did the pick six happen? What were the little things that led to yeah. that? The other little plays around that as well. Uh, you know, again, uh, unfortunate. The 54-yard run by, uh, by Nick Chubb. I mean, the Eagles had two attempts to get him within eight yards. You know, Joe Osman had him literally when he makes contact, that's at one yard. Right? That's a 53-yard difference. Well, and you could argue that they played that well because yeah. they were in man coverage and Sweat was the set-the-edge defender, and he did a real nice job of setting job. the edge and turning it back inside, yep. which is exactly how you're taught to do it. Technically, it's not Sweat's play to tackle him. It's Sweat's play to make sure he doesn't get outside of him, and Sweat did a really nice job on that play. Yep, the Eagles, you know, missed tackles continue to be an issue for the Eagles. They, you know, while they have been good uh, overall against running backs, you know, we talked about this last week, they're, they lead the league in missed tackles. So I believe that's a, according to Pro Football Focus. I mean, that has been an issue for the Eagles. So, um, you know, it's it's. I know it's tough for for the for Eagles fans, for listeners of the show, um, you know, that are Eagles fans, uh, to be able to watch, uh, you know, how this season has played out. But you and I, again, all we're doing is kind of going through the film and seeing the things that stand out. Uh, was there anything else on the offensive side that kind of? St- I thought Jalen Rager had a couple of nice moments in this game. There was a, a one route that he ran uh, on a deep out route. Uh, from a tight split in a backed-up situation. I thought it was a really crisp route, one of his better routes of the season. Uh, made a catch on fourth and long uh, that was really good in traffic in a crowd. Um, yeah, I, I thought he had some good moments. But again, you know, just offensively unable to have that level of sustained success. No, and the thing is, I thought they did a pretty good job at times. Uh, it was nice to see Goddard on some vertical route concepts. I really liked that. Um, I think that's something to build upon. Can I, ask you, can I ask you a question about that 32-yarder, that first one he had? I think it was the second drive of the game, maybe the third drive of the game. Um, do you think that that motion that they ran, I believe it was Rager that they put in motion from right to left and then he came back? Yeah, I think back. it changed the Browns' coverage. Do you th- so, like, what? What exa- how exactly did you see that? I'll tell you how I thought about well, that. Well, because, because if – Rager went in what was essentially return motion, but yep. he crossed the formation yep. before he returned because he was in an, an initial Z alignment to the field. So when he started to cross, and I'm trying to remember the, you know, every element of the play, I'm not seeing it obviously as we're talking. So I'm trying to remember it. Maybe you remember it in more detail, but if they had see, here's the way I always look at plays where there's motion like that, Fran. I say to myself, okay, what happens if they snap the ball without the motion? What's yep. the defense? What's the defense playing? Because they don't know they're going to go in motion. Yep. So if they were in motion, Harrison was was deep. It, you know, he was. It looked like they were playing a two shell coverage. But if they had just snapped the ball. So yeah. Do you remember it that way? Yeah, I do. And that's what I wasn't sure if they had changed so the when coverage he went in or motion, if he just changed his alignment. When they went in motion, Harrison started to drop down. And then when he came back, he didn't go back. He stayed. So what that did is it put it put the corner. And I that was Mitchell because Ward was predominantly the boundary corner in this game. So that was Mitchell then who stayed on Rager. And Harrison then matched up to Goddard because there was no one else to match up to him. Yeah, and that's kind of how I viewed it. Was like, I wonder if they knew based off that motion with Rager going across the field, I that would bring they knew the safety that, down. 
I yeah. guarantee they knew that that's that stuff. That motion was not done on a whim. Yep, it was. A, I thought that that was a, a really well done play and a good use. Yeah, so of, did I. So it's funny you one. mention that because I made a specific note of that play, thinking to myself, "Wow, I really that was that was really a nice concept." And and I love the vertical element with Goddard because I think he has good vertical ability. Yep, and Goddard ended up being the leading receiver on the day. A couple of plays uh, in scramble where he showed the ability to break, uncover and make himself available. He did that on the opening drive. Yep. Uh, his touchdown was of that variety. I thought we saw some good things there um, from Dallas Goddard for sure. Uh, look, offensive line struggled overall. Five sacks given up. Uh, you know, four sacks, like I said, on third down. Uh, that's that's obviously very difficult. Uh, a couple of injuries in the game. You had both tackles going in and out. Jason Kelsey yep. uh, was in and out. We saw some young players get in. Uh, once again, we saw some Jack Driscoll. We saw some Sue Opeta. Matt Pryor played both right guard and right tackle. We saw Jordan Mailata end up back played in both left tackle. And right tackle. And played, played some right tackle yeah. as well. Yeah, so um, saw a lot of different <laughs> no, combinations I mean, you know, once again. Again, if you're being realistic, and it's you know you know how it is with fans, and, and we get it. We live in Philadelphia, Fran. We get it. You know, we understand what Philadelphia fans are uh, are like, and they, they want it to be great every week, as we all do. But, you know, this offensive line this season, I don't know another team that's probably made as many changes uh, due to injury that the Eagles have had to make uh, this year on the offensive line. And, you know, it, it's easy to talk about any number of things, okay? And, and we know in Philly that, the, you know, the head coach and the quarterback, you know, it's probably true in every city, but in Philly, it's it's particularly true. They're the easy targets, but this is a, it's tough to play this way. It's yeah. just a hard deal on a weekly basis. Yeah, I agree. It's certainly an uphill battle for sure uh, when you're dealing with that lack of continuity uh, that they've had due to injuries this season up front. Um, let's go over to the defensive side. I would say overall, Overall, I thought the defense was pretty good in this game. So I. I, thought, I thought we saw some really good things up front uh, against a, a physical downhill run game. We talked about you know what the Cleveland Browns like to do and all the things they did up I front. I thought they defended the run really well. I mean, yeah. and, until Chubb had that 50-yard early in the fourth quarter and that put him over 100, I thought they defended the run really well. You know, And there's a couple of players that really stood out to me. That's you what know. I was just going to ask you. Who, who was it that stood out to you most on D? I thought Singleton played really well in this game. Coming off what I thought was his worst game against the Giants, I thought he played really, really well. Uh, he trusted what he saw. He was much more aggressive playing downhill. I thought he played really well. I thought like, Josh Sweat. I thought was, Josh Sweat played, also looked really good. I was he was my next guy. Yeah, I thought Josh Sweat <laughs> had a really good game. He was my next guy that I was going to mention. Yeah, uh, I thought that he played uh, really well. And you know, then there was a guy I didn't think played particularly well. I don't know if we're, you want to go there but uh yeah who, who what, what are the films i don't think you? i don't think Jalen mills played well it was definitely not it was definitely one of his worst games as an eagle i would say uh for Mental, mentally he did not seem you know physical mistakes are physical mistakes they happen in an yep. nfl game but mentally i thought he played a poor game I think that and what the one thing that I thought was really interesting the uh, the variety of packages they played defensively because we saw um, oh a, a ton decent, of packages a lot, yeah a lot of different packages a lot of different uh, defensive back groups a lot of different linebacker groups um, what were some of the things that, that you wrote down I, I'm sure you took notes in terms of how guys were used but yeah you, know, you saw lots of we saw four safeties on the field we saw four linebackers on the field um, a lot of different looks uh, from the defense well, you've got just- a lot of that plays into it. You kind of just nailed it. I mean, when they, when they went 4-4 versus 13 personnel, three tight ends, Mills was the corner. You know, he was the – and, of course, he has corner experience. But, I mean, yeah, essentially they were playing with three safeties because Mills is now a safety. Um, then they also played 4-3 with four safeties versus Brown's 13 personnel. 
with Wallace being the fourth safety. Um, we saw Taylor getting an, a number of snaps in that 4-4 package. So, uh, yeah, they clearly – I mean, this was a specific game plan for Cleveland, and when we get to Seattle, we know that will not be the case this week. Of course. I was, I was interested to see because it seemed like they played more of that four-safety look in the second half. I wonder if that's because those first couple drives when the Browns came out in 13, I mean, the first play of the game, they came out in 13, I believe it was an empty. Um, it seemed like they were throwing a little bit more out of 13. And yeah. said, All right, rather than go four linebackers, let's go with a heavier, a heavier uh, uh, secondary group and try and see if we can play the matchups there and not give up too much more in the run game. Um, I kind of wondered if that was the adjustment. I didn't go back and chart all of them, but that was my thought after going through the film. Um, yeah. I mean, that's possible. I didn't quite, you know, I wasn't, I didn't yeah. look at it that way, but you could well be right. The defensively, I thought, you know, you talk about Davion Taylor. Look, we, we saw the, we saw the movement skills. I was interested to see ultimately where he lined up outside of the goal line packages. It's he played kind of like as kind of how he was used in college, to be honest. He was, he was he kind played, of an overhang player. He played as an overhang player. And so yeah. if you're going to use him in those four, four looks yeah. against the heavier packages, like, that makes a lot of sense. They, you know, they have him do what oh, he yeah. does, which is good. Which is good. Um, you know, let him get his feet wet a little bit on defense, which uh, was certainly. Well, he was not drafted to be a box player. You, we know that. I mean, not day one. Not so sure. No, yeah. not 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 right yet. Yes. Right. Um, you know, it, I'm trying to think if there was anything else defensively. I thought uh, Fletcher Cox and Wyatt Teller was a really fun battle to watch inside. Um, you know, Fletcher got yeah, Cox had a couple of really good snaps. Obviously, the sack force fumble um, where he walked Teller right into the pocket. You know, that yeah. was sweet. And then he had another good pass rush versus Treader in the third quarter when he, he did, was aligned yes. as a zero technique. Yep. And uh, he forced Mayfield to leave the pocket, and Singleton cleaned up for the sack. Yep. Yeah, I, I thought that uh, that Fletcher certainly had a couple of nice snaps. We saw some good things from Hargrave. We saw some good things from Malik Jackson. Uh, really, I thought I thought the front seven overall uh, did a lot of good things. So did I. Uh, in I this mean, game. look, the numbers may not show that when all was said and done, but uh, you know. Obviously, that 54-yarder by Chubb on the fourth-quarter touchdown drive that essentially wrapped up the game. Um, we talked about that, but until he had that 54-yarder, I thought they defended the run very well. Yeah, I thought that they did a, good, a pretty solid job overall, especially considering the opponent uh, with those two guys and what they do. Um, you know, just kind of looking big-picture stats, I'll try and give an update on stats whenever I can. Uh, Eagles continue to not really give up a lot of big plays down the field. They did in this game, um, but overall, they I mean, they're, they're, they're third overall in 20-plus uh, in completions down the field. They've really limited the big play uh, overall in this season. Um, missed tackles, I mentioned earlier, continue to be an issue, but they're continuing to get pressure on the quarterback. They're sixth overall on third down. They're top five in red zone efficiency, which you wouldn't have expected considering how the season started. They were not great in the red zone to start, but uh, they've really tightened things up inside the five or inside the 20 rather, um, you know, over the course of the last few weeks. So, look, the, the defense continues to do, to do some good things. Um, you know, it's, it's a play here and there that they'd like to be able to get back. Uh, let's go now to the, this matchup here against Seattle, Greg. Uh, Seattle, they, they just played last Thursday night against the Arizona Cardinals. And now they don't play again until next Monday night, a week from tonight that we record this. So they've got a little bit of a mini bye week here uh, to get healthy. And they need it because they've had uh, a bunch of guys that were hurt. It looks like, based off reports, they're going to get Chris Carson back for this game. They're going to get Ethan Pochich, the center, back for this game. They're going to get the corner Shaquille Griffin back for this game. So, um, you know, they're getting healthy as well. Overall thoughts, I guess we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. A little bit of a, a different look for the Seahawks. The Eagles have played the Seahawks a lot over the last few years, but this is a little bit of a different look schematically and philosophically, well, I would say. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, if you, I'm, I know you watched the Arizona game. I yep. thought they went back to their 2018-2019 formula in that game. More 12 personnel. 
They ran the ball. Um, I don't know what their exact, let's say, first down run percentage was, but they ran the ball more. Uh, there was more quick game. Um, there was more play action, more boot. You know, I mean, this is what their formula was in 2018, 2019. The yeah. early part of the season, really up until the Arizona game, it had been the whole let Russ cook thing. But the problem with that is no matter how good your quarterback is, and we know Russell Wilson is a great quarterback, that's not the point. But it's really hard going into every game, Fran, and you know this, and say to your quarterback, hey, we can't win unless you're great. Right. So, again, we don't know what they'll do going forward, but they certainly went back against Arizona to more of their 2018-2019 formula and profile in which they were much more heavy run in normal down and distance situations. Yeah, to give our listeners a, a little bit of a, you know, paint the picture a little bit. As you mentioned, the 2018 formula, they were first in the league in run percentage on first and 10. Uh, they ran the ball uh, 52.8% of the time on first and 10. And those Last, are not Russell Wilson runs. Those right. are runs by the back. Yep. And the year before, or the year after, rather, last year, 2019, they were just a little bit lower than that, 46%. They were sixth in the league. This year, total, they're 38%. They're 24th in the league. But as you mentioned, last week against Arizona, they certainly were running the ball a little bit more, um, and, uh, especially on first and 10. And I, you, know, you looked at uh, you know, just kind of watching that game. They certainly had a focus on the outside zone, pin pull. They were working the the interior or the the, the perimeter rather. Lots of toss plays, flip plays. They were trying to get Carlos Hyde and those guys out in the perimeter. They run outside zone, five, uh, the fifth most in the league right now in terms of trying to work the perimeter. But you get Chris uh, Chris Carson back. You get Carlos Hyde back last week. They got a couple of physical backs. They're going to try and get downhill against this Eagles defense. This, is, I know this has been a trap team in the past. I think that we'll see a few trap yeah. plays from this team. Um, I'm interested to see how ultimately how they try to play it uh, on Monday night. And Chris Carson, to me, is one of the most overlooked backs in the league. You know, he was not a high draft choice. He's not explosive. He's not going to break, you know, 50-yard runs. But he is kind of an old school back. He is your classic back that gets seven when there's three to get. And he is, you know, and I'm curious, and we don't know the answer to this, obviously, but I'm very curious to see if they kind of go back and stay with that profile because, uh, you know, he can grind out yards. And, and you know how it is for an offense. And think of it this way. When you run the ball like they did in 2018, 2019, what's the toughest situation for a defense with Russell Wilson? Third and three, third and four, that's where his legs are really a big, big factor. So if you get into those kinds of situations on third down, that is a tough assignment for the defense. Yeah, I, I think that uh, is certainly kind of one of the X factors of this offense is what he's able to do um, you know, as a runner. I feel like you know, usually what we would say about Russell Wilson, kind of what you just said, like, hey, when it's a high leverage situation, when it's a, you know, if it's red zone, if it's third down, it felt like the other night, too, that was a little bit of a change is that you kind of saw him run a little bit more than what I at least what I had seen watching a few other games from this season. Um, I thought that was kind of a little bit of an interesting thing uh, from that game uh, well, against the Arizona Cardinals. And then you get the the second reaction plays by Wilson, which was a huge factor in the Arizona game. They're theoretically a huge factor every single week because he he's one of those quarterbacks that he does something that you would never teach. And I think I don't I can't recall. And I've been doing this a long time, Fran, anybody who does this, certainly as well as Wilson, there's guys who do it and they don't do it well at all. And what I'm talking about is this. He has the ability to drop his eyes, look at the rush, move, then 
bring his eyes back up, totally refocus, and make throws at the intermediate and deeper levels. You would never teach a quarterback to do that. Right. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, with and his deep ball, I mean, is... Oh, it's great. It's one of the best. It's one of the best in the yeah. game. And I guess we could talk about uh, just what they do conceptually in the passing game. To me, just watching, you know, I've watched all their big plays. I've watched all the targets to Metcalf, all the targets to Lockett. I've watched several games in full. They, I mean, they are great, number one, at attacking man-to-man coverage. They are great with vertical route concepts, whether it's yep. play action or straight drop back. They're one of the most explosive teams out of empty in the league. They don't run it a ton, but when they do, they are extremely effective and they really put a lot of stress on defenses. Part of that is because of, car- of uh, Russell's legs and what he can do to extend plays. But, I mean, it, it's an explosive passing game. They're going to put a stress on the Eagles in a lot of different ways on Monday. Well, one thing they love to do, they've been doing it for the last, well, going back last year when Metcalf was a rookie, because it certainly fits him. And and if they get man coverage, which the Eagles play a good amount of, they love to run mirrored crossers, uh, mirrored vertical route concepts with Lockett and Metcalf. Both guys can run. Metcalf can run away from anyone with his speed, um, and they run those mirrored crosses, and that's tough to defend. And and one thing about Russell, not only the deep ball, you know, the, the straight deep ball down the field, but he's also very good at laying the ball out to air, as we say, where, he, you know, throwing it across the field. They also love to run uh, post-cross concepts, which are they could be good against man or those can be good against cover three as well uh, because that that crosser coming from the backside is a very difficult route to defend in cover three. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something, you know, we, especially with Lockett, who, by the way, and quick aside, we, we know that DK Metcalf is a, is a freak. I mean, he is one of the, the toughest matchups, regardless of position in the NFL. I actually make the comparison. We talked a lot about, uh, about Miles Garrett last week. He's almost like Miles Garrett in terms of just like the the way that he's put together, the way that he can win. I mean, he's he's a really just an impressive physical specimen. But I don't think that enough is talked about with Tyler Lockett. He he is such an impressive player. He's a good route runner. He's got speed. He can work great at all three levels. He's excellent tracking the ball over the shoulder. Maybe one of the best deep ball trackers in yeah. the NFL. And then he's also just great through contact in all phases, early in the down, mid route, at the catch point, going to the ground. I mean, he's got great hands. Tyler well, Lockett's a great, really good player. You remember the, uh, the the first play against Arizona, the first time they played. When I don't know if you saw this particular play, you probably did if you went through the uh, the targets where Patrick Peterson gave. That's him the play a, without question. A big time jam. Yeah, absolutely, and Peterson is six two, two hundred twenty pounds. Yeah, and Lockett fought his way through that and then made an unbelievable one handed catch. That's the example, Greg, because he goes to the two-hand jam from Patrick Peterson, and then there was like a defender buzzing through, so he releases on the route. He has to run through that contact. He gets kind of bumped by the the buzz defender, and then he fights through contact at the catch point, dives, and then sustains the catch through the ground. Like He saw contact in all four phases and still won for a big play. Um, I thought that was awesome. Let me make one final point about Metcalf, and we can move on. Yeah. This summer, you know, obviously we were all home this summer, and I did a deep dive on a lot of players, quarterbacks, wideouts, running backs, and Metcalf was a guy I did a deep dive on. And, you know, don't forget he was a rookie last year. It's not yep. like he's been in the league 10 years. It seems that way, but he hasn't been. Right. And I made the point that I thought he was very much like Julio Jones, which a lot of people thought was, you know, blasphemy because Julio Jones is a first ballot Hall of Famer. But all of a sudden people are thinking, you know, maybe he is a little like him. And and the other thing I will say, 
and, and maybe you notice this as well. I think he's become a much better route runner as this season has progressed. I didn't think he was a particularly good route runner a year ago, but I think this year there's a little more nuance, a little more refinement to his route running, and they move him around now. Last year, he predominantly, predominantly played the boundary X. Eagles fans, I'm sure, remember him in the playoff game when he caught a deep ball from deep in Seattle territory when he was not the boundary X. But for the most part, a year ago, he was the boundary X. This year, they've moved him around a lot more. Yeah, I think that's a great point. There are still some plays where you're like, all right, he's still kind of finding his way as a route runner, but you definitely are seeing more flashes of his ability to get in and out, much more diverse route tree this year. Um, there's still everything is on a, a linear plane with him. That's when he's at his best. You know, you get those those deep crossers, the shallow crosses, obviously the fade routes, the go balls, all that stuff. But uh, you know, for sure, he's definitely seeing a much more diverse route tree. This year. The last thing the Eagles can have happen in this game, because, you know, for obvious reasons, the Eagles are not putting up 30, is to give up big play touchdowns. Yep. They, you know, they, they can't, they just can't do that, which leads you to believe, hey, we know they've played a lot of man. Maybe, and, and we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe they'll play a little less man because, you know, the last thing you want to have happen is all of a sudden it's 14 nothing because they've given up two 50 yard touchdowns. Right, exactly. And obviously, t- talking about DK, I mean, I think uh, obviously a lot of people ask the question, how did he fall as late as he did in the draft? Knowing, I mean, you and I both saw the same thing in terms of what his potential could be, um, you know, just because of his physical skills. But well, obviously, the, the medical had a big, big deal, uh, you know, yes. with that. coming off a, a, frac- a fracture in his, it was, it was in his neck or in his back. Yeah. Anytime you're dealing with that, I mean, that's your, there's a lot that can go into play there. So, well, the uh, other thing, one final point, which is one of my pet peeves, I don't know if it's yours is when I hear people say, well, he didn't run a, a complete route tree. No one in the NFL runs a complete route tree. Right. To me, that's a meaningless thing to say. Mm, yeah, no, that's a, I think that's a valid point. Offensive line-wise, I mean, Dwayne Brown's a solid player at left tackle. Uh, I would say that the other guy that's kind of impressed me, I think Damian Lewis, when he's yeah. played at right guard, has been solid. Uh, better than I thought he would be, honestly, coming out of LSU. I didn't think that he was this kind of player, and he's doing a, a really nice job um, as the right guard. They had to play him at center this past week against Arizona. It didn't go great, but he is moving back to right guard for this week. Yes. Coming back you know, another Florida. guy who I think, and again, he's probably not playing this week, but because I watch Seattle every week, and who knows about Mike Yapati because he's been in and out of the lineup. He's an older player now. But I think this Jason Simmons kid, when he's played left guard, has done a really nice oh, yeah? job for them. Okay, interesting. Yeah, he was yeah. inactive this past week. Um, I know he's been kind of in and out. Him and well, that's because Yapati was, you know, uh, when Yapati plays, Simmons doesn't. But you yep. never know with Yapati, like I said, at this point. Sure. All right, let's go over to the defensive side here, Greg. Can we talk through uh, the Seahawks defense? Not the Legion of Boom, uh, and obviously not even just from an, an effectiveness and a stat standpoint and all that, but with with those defenses back in the day, it was well-defined, not simple, but you you knew what to expect. You knew them, what you right? were getting when you, you played knew what Seattle. You were getting. They were just better than you. Yep. This, this group is much different in that coverages kind of mix and match. They pressure a lot more. They've got more positionless players that kind of move around and do different things. There's much more versatility. You don't necessarily know how they're going to line up when they come out. There's more packages with this group. Is that, is that a fair statement to make? To some degree. Um, yeah, I would say that's probably fair. Um, you know, obviously they've not been a very good defense. They've given up a ton of yards versus yep. the pass. Uh, they didn't really have a pass rush. They got Dunlap now. He's starting to add a little bit to the pass rush. I think we're seeing more stunts, more games up front. Um, Jamal Adams, is is he's a pass rusher, and he's a box player. Uh, in some ways, while he's really good at those two things, he limits what you can do because he's not really a man defender, and he's not a back-end player. Mm. 
Right. No, that's a, that's a, a really interesting point. And I think that a lot of people. That's what the tape shows, Fran. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I'm just going by what the tape shows. I think it's an interesting conversation because people talk about like the value of, of Adams after the trade for a first round pick. I mean, it was a hefty price that they paid uh, to acquire him. And I think it's a really interesting conversation to have. Uh, you know, certainly, Look, this is a team that was looking for for the ability to get after the quarterback, and he brings that. Obviously, a different package than what you would expect, but uh, with his ability to get after it as a blitzer, he certainly does bring some value. And they've used him in that way, despite only getting him, uh, you know, late in the summer. No question. And and look, they use him in multiple ways. You know, they've become. It's funny you talk about the more things they do, more packages. They're more multiple with their front looks out of nickel than they were back in the Legion of Doom days because they right. have to be. You know, they, now what you see a lot of double mug fronts. And by that, we mean they line up right and, and uh, Wagner, the two linebackers in nickel um, in the in the A-gaps. That's a double mug look. Adams is very good blitzing out of that look. Um, what they also do now, because they love matchups with Bobby Wagner on a center, is they'll line up in that five across diamond front in their sub nickel, where Wagner basically lines up either as a, as a zero or as a one technique, and they get matchups on the center. So they do more of these things now to try to create opportunities for pass rush because they, they haven't been able to, up to this point, simply line up with four and rush the quarterback. All right. It's it's certainly really interesting to kind of watch, especially knowing where that defense came from. Um, when we talk about their pass rush, they acquired Carlos Dunlap at the trade deadline. Greg, I'll tell you what, he played this past Thursday night like his hair was on fire. He was all over the place against the, he had the game ceiling sack, but he was in yeah, on another one. Uh, he, yeah. had, he was in on a lot of plays. Yeah. And I think that th- that's their hope is that he continues to be, if you know, I always liked him in Cincinnati. He just never got 15, 18 sacks, and people never really talked about him as a big-time sacker. But he is a long, athletic guy, and and he, I mean, he looks like a basketball player. Mm-hmm. And I think he'll he'll really help them going forward because um, that was a big issue. I mean, we know that pass defense has two elements, pass rush and coverage, and the total lack of pass rush was killing their coverage because I actually think Shaquille Griffin, who's back this week, is a pretty good corner. Um, You know, so again, I I don't make lists of corners, as you know, but I think he's a pretty good corner. I think he's their best corner. I I could have sworn that you made a, a like a top fifteen list of all the corners in the NFL, and I do that with every position, friend. You know right. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I do think he he is a pretty good corner, and obviously they just have not had great corner play. I know DJ Reed, a, a guy we both like coming out of Kansas State, has given them some good snaps both inside and outside over the last few weeks. But, um, you know, they, they've just given up a lot of big plays this year. That's Too many big plays. Yeah, yep, I mean, that's been uh, certainly an issue for them. Uh, they play a decent amount of base uh, base defense with three linebackers on the field. I really Wagner like Jordan Wright Brooks, by the way. What, what have you seen from the rookie first round pick? I think he's a very athletic kid. Uh, did you do him coming out? I did. Yep. Yeah, I, I did too, and I, I'm trying to remember what I thought, but I liked him. I can't remember all the details, but I think he's he's athletic. There's some explosiveness to him. Um, at times, they'll use him as well in the blitz game. Um, there have been times this year where he's played in the nickel with Bobby Wagner, you know, where they give K.J. Wright some plays off, but I, I think he has a chance to be a really good player. Yeah, I think that he's certainly done a lot of good things in that defense. And, you know, he'll work in the middle between uh, Wagner and Wright. They'll put him outside. I mean, they do a lot of different things with him. And, uh, you know, they've got – honestly, they've got some backups there uh, at, at linebacker. They also uh, have the ability to make some plays. I like Cody Barton as well coming off the bench. So, uh, you know, they've got a very good linebacking core. 
It'll be interesting. I'll be, I'll be very interested to see. Uh, this is a defense that flies around. Um, you know, like I said, they do a lot of different things from a pressure standpoint. You've got to account for Jamal Adams. Uh, you know, it, uh, certainly underneath. Uh, I think they're getting better, Fran, and that's yeah. important. Yep, uh, absolutely, and they're getting healthier, uh, yeah. which is big for them as well. Well, Greg, uh, we will be talking about this matchup not next Monday night because they'll be playing it, but next week right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Thanks again for joining us here on Chalk Talk. Thanks, Fran. Always appreciate it. Experience the fastest internet and more in a snap. With Xfinity Wi-Fi, you get the speed, coverage, control, and security you need for the ultimate in-home Wi-Fi experience. Xfinity, proud partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Great stuff from Greg. You could follow on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on every form of social media. That's one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. If you leave a question, we will answer it. And I want to give a shout-out to two people who did just that over the last few days. First off, we're going to go to Tom Paul Six, who left a five-star review on our Apple Podcast page saying, long-time listener, keep up the great work. My question, with the Eagles' upcoming schedule with four tough teams in a row, with the Seahawks, Packers, Saints, and Cardinals, how do you think the Eagles can beat those teams? Tom Paul checking in from Brooklyn, New York. Well, Tom, the big thing is, look, you, you can't look at that stretch as a four-game stretch. All you can do is go one game at a time. You talk with players, coaches, that those are the marching orders, right? How do you beat the Seattle Seahawks on Monday night? After you get past that, then you think, how do we beat the Green Bay Packers on Sunday afternoon? After that, how do you beat the New Orleans Saints on Sunday afternoon? If you try and think of a big picture and say, man, this is a really tough slate. How do we run this gauntlet? That's how you get into trouble. All you can do is focus on the, that week's opponent. Let the, you know, the, coach, the, the coaches and uh, the low-level coaches and um, you know, the pro scouts, they'll worry about next week. They'll worry about the teams coming down the pipe. All you can do as a coach and as a player is focus on how you're going to win the next game on the schedule. How do you improve from this past week? And that's really the ultimate goal. So, uh, Tom Paul, that's how you can do it. Look, and look, I mean, with the way that the Eagles are playing, all they can do is focus on one game at a time. That, that's the only way you can get out of it. Then you go to the next one here. The, the next question comes from the Scouts Doubt. Left us a five-star review on our Apple Podcast page as well, saying, Hi, Fran, have you seen any pattern in the coverages that defenses will play against the Eagles? Do the defenses break their coverage tendencies against them, or do they mostly just play what they play week in and week out? Look, ultimately, and I'm not charting necessarily what every coverage is that that uh, every team is running on a weekly basis, so I can't like speak with 100% confidence on this, but I don't see any major differences. I, I think ultimately every team is going to do what they do. Are they going to change from time to time? Yeah, absolutely. You're always going to throw in different kind of wrinkles and, and do things differently. I thought that the Cleveland Browns, for instance, did some you know some different things at times in this game with Denzel Ward. He traditionally had just been a left corner. There were times in this game where he played namely to the boundary, so he was going to play uh, to the short side of the field. That put him on the right side at times. So, yeah, you're going to see some differences, and even uh, with, between zone and man, single high, two high, you know, quarters, cover three. You're, you're going to see differences at times based on the matchup. But ultimately, teams are going to do what they do, right? Especially, you know, some teams more than others, but teams are going to do what they do. And you, you kind of have an understanding of how they're probably going to play you. And on a drive-to-drive basis, I know that you know Jim Schwartz will say this all the time, there's no such thing as halftime adjustments in the locker room. It's, you're making those adjustments on a drive-by-drive basis on the sideline. So a uh, good question there from the Scouts Doubt. Thanks so much to Tom Paul as well. Special thanks to Greg Cosell and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings here at Eagles Entertainment. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you later this week. 
there's still time to be in the stands at Lincoln Financial Field this season with an Eagles fan cutout. Put on your game day vest and upload a photo of yourself so that you can join us on game days. Fan cutouts printed by Rico are only $35, and orders of four or more receive a $5 discount per cutout. Best of all, your purchase benefits Eagles Autism Foundation and also waives the registration fee for the 2021 Eagles Autism Challenge event. Order today at PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash cutouts.